Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord overruled my intent last time when I said I would finish 2 Peter. And I only got through the introduction, but God willing, we will complete 2 Peter today. Grow in grace and knowledge. Let me review what we looked at. The uh, passage that I mean begins in verse 10 here. However, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar elements, then burning with heat will be dissolved, the earth and the works in it. Ooh, I forgot to repair that. Uh, for some reason, I had I stood up and my brain sat down. But you'll see up here in the passage that the earth and the works in it will not be found. And I, I'd rather take a whipping from my mama than to leave out part of the scripture. But I, it was just a weak moment. Anyway, you'd have to see my mama whip me to appreciate that. <laughs> The earth, the works in it will not be found. I want to briefly, looking back over what we looked at last time, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Okay, so overall, Peter is warning the Christians about false teachers. That's been a struggle and a problem in the church ever since there was a church. The day of the Lord, we're going to see different references to the day of such and such. The day of the Lord is the day of wrath and judgment. So we are taught that it comes like a thief. We are also, we're also taught how when that day comes, there will be universal uh, dissolution. There will be universal destruction, the whole universe. And the wrath of God will fall, be burned up. That's, that's a theological truth. Peter teaches it here. And we talked about that last time. I'm not going to go over that again, just to recall how the earth, which seems to be so important to us, and yet if you note how these little spacecraft look back from wherever they are out to the edge of the solar system, and earth is such a tiny little thing, against all of the other stuff that can be seen from that little spacecraft looking back, little blue dot. And we think it's so important, but when we think of all of the discoveries of these new telescopes that have been put into orbit and all that has been discovered and the vastness of everything, all of that, I told you last time, was created and designed to be destroyed. Everything in the universe is made of subatomic particles that, and each particle has within it the power of destruction. Some, some force holds it together. Colossians 1 tells us it's Christ, that Christ holds things together. In the wrath of God, that, that hold is, le is loosed. And the potential that exists in every particle of construction in everything that's in the universe 
will be released and everything and that, that energy from everywhere be destroyed. It's difficult for us to imagine a universal-wide nuclear explosion, but that's what it'll be. It'll all be gone. It'll be gone. So this is the day of the Lord. So we know this is coming. We have instruction on how to live, who we are in Christ and, and what we are to pursue in Christ. But he's, he's looking back at the day of the, or looking forward to the day of the Lord and looking out to the believers, reminding them that this day of the Lord is coming and everything that people think is important here on planet earth, not only these little things that we think are important on this tiny speck that we live on will be destroyed and the earth and all the works in it not be found. None of the rest of the universe is going to be found either because power, the power of Christ will be displayed. We weren't there when he displayed his power in the creation of things, John chapter one. But we will be there, those of, we will be there, those of us in Christ, we will be there when he demonstrates his power, the creator demonstrates his power to release everything in how it was designed and he just all blows up. So that brings us then, he's talking about the day of the Lord, but now what about today? What, is, what does this mean to us? This is what he wants to point out to the believers. All these things being dissolved in this way, what kind of person ought you to be? And then I have several things listed here. You should be a person of holy conduct and reverence. Holy conduct is the way you act in this world. Reverence is the attitude that you carry in this world. As we grow in Christ, we should more and more honor Christ in everything. I don't care what it is. At work, at play, uh, whatever we're doing, as we grow in Christ, we will find that all things come from him and we just, we just rejoice our lives in him. We, we seek to inhabit his glory. Knowing that the day of the Lord is coming, a day where all the works of everything will be destroyed. All the history books, all the, all the statues, all of the names of people who thought they were important and have been preserved. We'll talk a little bit about how civilizations are being uncovered almost on an annual basis, great civilizations. Don't even know who, are, don't know anything about the civilization. Don't know who the leaders were. Don't know how they came to be such a great civilization. Uh, try to understand the language they wrote with. Those things have disappeared, for, but back in their day, they were the most important things around. All those things will disappear. All right, knowing that, how should we live? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We should live with a view to the truth that in Christ we live beyond the destruction of the universe and into a new heaven and a new earth. And we will continue to develop and grow in a glorified body, in a way that we cannot understand, in a universe that we cannot understand. It's not here yet, 
but he'll make it. And I think he, my personal belief is he'll, he'll make it while we watch it. Man, we'll learn something. So how should you be? Well, you should live a life of holy conduct. Take care how you act in this life, what you surround yourself with. Reverence, have an attitude toward the Lord that places him above everything else in the Lordship that is his, that belongs to him. Next, we should live expectantly. All right, look at that. Expecting and hastening or urging the coming of the day of God. Now, this is a different day. You see, the first one was the day of the Lord. This one is the day of God. The day of God is the same thing as the day of eternity that's mentioned at the last of our text here today. And that day is the day when we enter into the new heaven and the new earth, a new existence that is unfathomable today. So we should, number two, live expectantly, knowing this wonderful time is coming for us that we cannot imagine. So we're living in a day expectantly, urging in our hearts the coming of the day of God. Oh, how I want to live in a universe that is free from sin, that's free from temptation, that is free from disease and curse, that is free from death and free from hatred. And the wrath of God no longer abides. It is utter and ultimate peace with God for all of those who are his in Christ. So we live expectantly, urging, wanting, anxiously wanting this day of God to come. I'm not anxious. I mean, I know it's going to come and I'll, I'll enjoy it when it gets there, when it gets here, the day of the Lord, the day of wrath. But the day that's really going to lift me up is the day of God, the day of eternity. And it is for that reason that the heavens are set on fire and they're dissolved. The elements melting in burning heat. But we're awaiting new heavens and a new earth according to his promise in which righteousness dwells. What is the power from the God of this age that rules the hearts of fallen man today? It is the enslavement to sin, sin nature. Unless and until God calls you to Christ and you are born again, you are enslaved to sin. You have a sin nature that will be manifest in your life. And things will only get worse and worse in your life unless graciously God intervenes. And saves you. Otherwise, it is, it, is, it is nothing but headed for destruction. Headed for uh, the lake of fire. Now, that's what rules the present universe, really. That's what rules sin ever since the fall of man. It rules until finally it reaches its apex according to the purpose of God. And then sin at its worst will, will be confronted, destroyed, put away, and all of those who participated in it sent to the lake of fire where they'll be tormented forever. But the rest of us, 
those of us who are in Christ, divinely protected and delivered and rescued from all of that, will be brought into the new heaven and the new earth. This is that for which we anxiously await. We're already citizens there. Paul writes to the Philippians, and he writes about how our citizenship is in heaven. We are already citizens there because there was, before there was ever anything, our names were on the book of life. So everything is happening as time goes on. We saw this in, in verse 9. You know, God is not willing that any should pray. We saw how God is patiently moving through time, drawing and bringing all of those who are his or who, who are his in time. When that's finally done, when the last one comes in, things happen. Bad things for those who are not in Christ. So then here it says, it's the reason for our new home, new heaven, new earth. That's the reason everything's going to be dissolved, destroyed. All the elements are going to be released into one universal nuclear explosion. And then a new earth will be seen to emerge by the creative power of our Savior. How? According to his promise. And when that time comes, it won't be the enslavement of sin. It will be the indwelling of righteousness. There will be no sin. Be no sin, be no temptation. We won't have these struggles as believers that we have today. Therefore, beloved, expecting these things. Here's the third thing then. Be diligent to be found by him, first of all, in peace. Whatever happens today, I've been watching these reports and they're saying that this is going to be the worst year of the history of our nation, 2024. There's going to be an explosive season of election that's coming up in, in the latter part of this year, a presidential election. And whoever wins, the other side is not going to accept it. And all kinds of things are going to cut loose and break loose and civil war and all this kind of stuff. Okay. I'm at peace in the Lord. God's not out of control here. God's up to something. We are inevitably moving to the day of the new heaven and the new earth. I already know the map, the path. This world is going to have, the church is going to have to be taken out of the world. And the church, in the church, is the work that restrains the appearance of the Antichrist, who is a nasty boy. Nobody can know who he is until the church is gone. We have all these guesses of why it's this guy, it's that guy. You know, you don't know. The scary thing is that in my view, in all likelihood, he's already walking around somewhere. Being prepared. But from here, the world has to collapse into this time of un unprecedented complexity and trouble which goes right into the tribulation, which, which introduces the guy that the world is crying for. This is after the church is gone. And the church is described in Thessalonians as that the work of the church 
is that which restrains. It's, there's, a, there's a masculine and a neuter that is used in that passage in Thessalonians. That he who restrains and that which restrains. He who restrains is the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church. We can't do anything to restrain the power of Satan unless the Holy Spirit of God is there with us, empowering us. That's how it works. But what happens when then when the church is removed and we're raptured away and the Holy Spirit of God is no longer in that particular capacity? If there won't be a church, then the Holy Spirit won't be filling the church and the church is the temple of God today. So when the church is gone, the Holy Spirit takes another role and he is no longer he who restrains and the work of the church, which, which will cease to be when the church is gone, the work of the church is that which restrains and it's gone. There won't be a restraint by the design of God and the seven years of tribulation fall. You think it's bad now? Multiplied by a million times. If you're a believer, you'll have, to, you'll have your head chopped off. You'll have to give your life. Read the book of the Revelation for those seven years. And all of those things begin to fall. And the cataclysmic, destructive natural powers that are unleashed by God that fall on this world, such that even there comes a time when there's no water and the only thing to, to drink is blood. I could go on and on. That's not my design. That's not my purpose to preach that today. But that's the path we're headed on, okay? I know that. I, I'm troubled by it in some ways because there are so many who are so foolish and cannot see what is happening to the world. But I'm at peace in it because I know that God's in control. God has never, ever, for one millisecond, surrendered a control of anything. Never has. If he did, he wouldn't be God. So then I know we're going to have to pass through those seven years. Or not we, not the church, but the world. Time as we understand it. And that those seven years then will surrender to the millennial reign of Christ. And the millennial reign of Christ will start out in such perfection on this earth, but those thousand years will reveal that even though the tempter is chained and imprisoned for a thousand years and there's no temptation allowed to the human race, yet still then, apart from the grace of God and the saving power of Christ, the propensity is there for sin and rebellion and it manifests itself at the end of those thousand years and those people are sent straight to hell and then Christ will surrender the kingdom to the Father. The great white throne is set up at the time of the destruction of the universe. I understand we have to go through all these things. We're at least a thousand, seven years away. I understand that. But I'm at peace with it because I know it's coming. Anyone who knows his Bible could easily argue to you, debate to you, not that, but proclaim to you, declare to you truthfully, and you'd have to be a fool to deny it, that the state of the world today is exactly described in the scriptures as the state of the world as it exists, just as the age of the church comes to a close and the times of the Gentiles comes to an end. That's, that's just, that's easy to do. 
by any student of scripture who believes the Bible. So then we know we're expecting these things. So we know these things. We're expecting these things. What then? Be diligent to be found by him with no anxiety. In peace. I'm going to watch the election. I hope the Lord comes before then. If I'm still alive and the Lord hadn't come and, and there is an election, some people say, there ain't going to be no election. But if there's an election, I'm sitting there and I'm watching it. And probably my blood will boil, you know, and I'll probably see that the wrong guy didn't win it. I don't know. But if it happens that way, I'm going to thank God for it. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to say, you know, God is up to something. And we just, we just took a big step into a direction that God has already designed for us. Walking down the path that God has already declared for us to walk in. This is where we are. So this is number one, be diligent. As angering as current events can be, I watched the, I watched the news article, the CEO of United Airways. United Airways, there, were, there was a big party of elite people. Big party. And he dressed in drag. Hot shot, big guy, rich guy. I'm thinking, it makes me so mad. Why? Prayed for him. Pray for myself, pray for my children, pray for my grandchildren. They're going to be exposed to such horrible deceit about stuff like that. Just taking over the world, seems like. Those who are the movers and the shakers of this world who can tell you whether or not you can borrow money if you're in a bank will first of all profile you. And if you don't fit their profile and it's not woke enough for them, you don't get a loan. You can go broke. Well, okay. This makes me to diligently work in my heart so that I can be found by him in peace. My God knows these things are happening. He is not unaware of the situation on planet earth. He has never surrendered any ground to anybody. These things are going according to his purpose and will. So I'm going to be, I'm going to diligently work in my life to be found without anxiety, in peace, spotless and blameless. Spotless. Now that word, let me, let me talk about that word, without spot. It's, it's up here. Asploi, asploi. Here's what that means. Especially for a believer. Something splashed on me. I got too close to something. And something splashed on me. And I didn't like it. And I did all that I could do in prayer. And humbling myself before God. To pray that that sprinkle of spot would be removed. I got too close to something that I shouldn't have been close to. 
Now I learned a lesson and I'm not going to stand on the corner again when it's, there's a mud puddle there and cars are rushing, whatever. But it's a, it, it metaphorically is describing us walking through life. And, and we, we get too close. We don't realize we get too close to something. There's a spot and we don't like it. Now, if we liked it, that's a problem. And if we don't move to pray that God will remove that spot, there's a problem. But with Christ in our heart, we can't stand it. We can't stand sin. Who of us in Christ stumbling into sin wants to stay there? It's a horrifying thing. Oh, God, forgive me. I got too close to something and I was wrong. David responded in that way. That's to live spotless. To live your life such that you are ever watching. And when something wrong comes along, you immediately do the things that you should do. You confess and repent and beg God, not only for his forgiveness, but his, for his ref, restoration and refreshing. And that that spot, those spots would be cleansed. Cleanse them, Lord. Now we have, of course, we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. But we're talking here about active living in this world. People recognize that. Spotless and blameless. People know that we are a Christian because of how we try to live and because of the reverent attitude that we have in this life. And being in Christ, we're without guilt. We're without blame. Spotless and blameless. So without anxiety, spotless and blameless. We know these things are happening and they are occurring. And so we try to order our footsteps in such a way that our lives are pleasing to God. But sometimes... Satan sets a trap for us. We all know that. I, I, if you tell me you've never fallen in a trap, you're a liar. That's what, that's, I don't say that myself. First John says that to you. But the child of God doesn't stay there. Okay, all right. Expecting these things, be diligent to be found in him, by him in peace, that is when he comes for us, spotless and blameless. Fourth thing, consider or esteem the patience of our Lord as the purpose of salvation. That is exactly what was said back in what, verses eight and nine, whatever. People are scoffing. Where, where is the promise of his coming? The, these infidels walking around laughing at Christians because we are looking up expecting Christ to come at any time and to put down the way of the world to establish his, where is the promise of his coming? God isn't slow as people think of things being slow or delayed. He says in that context there, because a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years with the Lord is like a day. And here's why. Because, now we're going back. Who is he writing to? And he goes back to the first. He's writing to the elect and those who are in Christ. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So he's not slack or slow concerning his promise. 
God, through time, is gathering his own to himself. That's what he's saying. And time will not stop until the last one of those whom he has given to Christ have come to repentance. And God knows this. He's writing to a church and we've, we're already 2,000 years removed from them. It's just two days to the Lord. He's gathering his own. So here's, he follows up on that and he says, consider then, and he said this was patience. He's not delaying, he's patient. He said in that other context, God is, is patient to his, toward his own. So now, number four, consider or esteem the patience of our Lord as the purpose of salvation. Okay, so what's the, what's the, what's the job here? What should this time be filled with from where we find ourselves until the Lord comes for us? What should we be filled with? We should be filled with prayers, thoughts, and actions of evangelism. Salvation. We are here today because the last one has not come in. It might be that God would use me to speak to that one. And grant me the privilege of seeing God Almighty draw one more sinner to his son. Grant to him the gifts of, of repentance and faith, his having been born again, giving him regeneration, renewing him spiritually, regenerating him. What a privilege to be in the presence of the power of God. When someone comes to Christ, it's not by the power of my preaching or prayer or by the power of your testimony. It is by the power of God. What a privilege it is to be in the presence of seeing someone come to be saved. So the, we're living in the era that we call the patience of our Lord because we're still here. That means the last one of us hasn't been called yet, called in so we esteem this time as the purpose of salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as in also all of his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things difficult or hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable or the unestablished distort, as they do also the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now that's a mouthful. Here's what you and I are going to get out of this. Number one, whatever Paul writes is scripture. That's what it says. It was given to him, and that is, it was given to him like it was given to, uh, uh, to the apostles. So he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And Peter, who in John, what, 14 through 16, Christ said to those apostles back in that day, Right before his death, he said, I will bring all things into remembrance for you. And he was telling them that whatever they got from that point after he left on, the scriptures would be from him. It would be God-given, God-breathed scriptures. Now, the one who was the head of the group, Peter, says, you know, that same thing is extended to Paul. So Paul, you don't know, maybe you do, I don't know, but there are... Quite a few folks 
always have been in Christianity who reject the letters of Paul as part of the New Testament. I was reading about one particular group a couple of, well, maybe a month ago now. They, no, I don't, you know, uh, we, have, we have certain doctrines that we've developed and some of them are reiterated by the Apostle Paul and some people just reject Paul. Ah, that's not scripture. That mean nothing to me. Well, Peter here brings all of that under falsehood. He said, that's not right. Paul's letters are like our letters. And he says, he, he aligns those writings of Paul with other scriptures down at the bottom. So these are, you know, these are Paul's writing and scriptures. I'm, you and I, I don't think anybody here has ever doubted that or rejected it, but you'd be surprised if people do because there are things that Paul says, especially about the modern culture, that people just don't like. They don't like what he says about women. They don't like what he says about men. They don't like what he says about leadership. They don't like what he says about grace or a lot of other stuff. They just, you know, they, yeah, well, that's Paul. That's just Paul. Well, okay, here it is. Other scriptures to their own description. So the first, first thing is Paul's letters are part of the scriptures. Second thing I get out of this is that we should be disciples of Christ knowing that as we study and pray the scriptures, things will become established in our hearts. We will become, we'll come to the point where we can understand things that we didn't understand before. And there are some indeed who find it difficult are hard to understand, especially in the context, the writings of Paul. Why? Because they're untaught. They never sought discipleship in their lives. They're untaught, which has made them unstable or unestablished in their faith. You know, you should have, for your personal life, you should, you should have a, a letter of beliefs, of a doctrinal statement. Shiloh has a doctrine. It's a long one. We have a scripture for, we have a plethora of scriptures for every statement that's made in our doctrinal statement. And it's, it's in the Constitution. There's a, all kinds of statements that we make as a church. This is who we are. If you don't have a copy, you let one of us know. We'll get you a copy. You need a copy. You need to know on that on which we ground ourselves. This we believe. Why? Because it's in the Bible. That's why. We don't go by men's traditions. We go by what the Bible says. So we seek here at Shiloh to teach people. So that they can understand that which a lot of people think are things that are hard to understand. They're not. Just stay with it. Stay with it. Because they're untaught. So we teach them. We just teach them the Bible. And we do all that we can do, even to go all the way back to the languages that they used when they wrote it. Hebrew and Greek, and here it is. This is the way it came. This is the way, it's, this is the way it is. And in the best way we know how, this is how we bring it out. Translate it. Establish it in your lives, in your heart. There are people who are untaught and don't understand the things will distort certain doctrines of scripture. 
and they do so to their own destruction. Now, that's a reference back to the false teachers, those whom he is attacking here in 2 Peter. Therefore, so that goes, that, that, that therefore sweeps it all back here. So now having, having all this been said, you therefore beloved, knowing this beforehand, number five, beware, be on your guard, lest you having been carried away by the error of lawless men fall from your own steadfastness. But, number six, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. As you and I, for these last 17 and a half years, taking this journey through the scriptures, I'm... Well, I've about, I still have to preach through three of the five divisional books of Psalms. Psalms is divided into five sections. I got three of those left, got 19 chapters of Proverbs left, have the rest of Deuteronomy left, and we're going to, God willing, in a week or two, we'll finish Kings and Chronicles. I long ago finished the New Testament preaching through if God gives me these next two or three years, unless he wants to come first, that'd be all right. I'll put that ahead of me finishing the Bible. You and I will have completed studying the Bible. Every verse, every word, every chapter, every book, we will have, and, and it'll, well, by then it'll be, what, 21 years or something. We will have not wiggled out from under anything. We will have studied it all. And I'm going to make a bet with you, and I'm not a betting man. I'll bet you a donut hole to a puff of air. That if you've stayed with me for these 17 and a half and 20, 21, whatever it takes to finish the rest of it, you will have grown in grace. You cannot escape the reality, this reality, that everything is by the grace of God. There's nothing by my power, not a thing. Nothing by my power. You cannot escape. If you stick with the scriptures, you cannot escape the truth of sovereign grace. You can't escape it. It's there. There was a time I struggled with it many, many years ago, a few decades ago. But I had to collapse into the presence of a sovereign God because I saw from the original text what it said, and you can't change the original text. It's there. These like classical Hebrew and Koine Greek, they're frozen in time. There's, there's no more activity in the world in those languages. They gave way to something. You can't change it. Grow in the grace what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. I'm telling you, after 17 and a half years here, enduring me, if you didn't, if you listened, it's, it's on a podcast somewhere. You can go back and listen to most of it, I guess, some of it. So if, if you doubt me, go back. <laughs> Won't cost you a thing. 
you will have grown in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace. In that new heaven and new earth, there won't be anybody to brag on but Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus. So he's closing this out here. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I will add to that, I hope. That you and I together, just in you, I mean, I'm, I'm reading the scriptures and studying them too. We're in this thing together. That we will not have only grown in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in these last 17 and a half years. But we will have also grown in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'll know more about him next week than I do this week. It's an exciting thing. To grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to know more about him is to know more about his grace. The grace that is extended to us. Unmerited favor. A gift for which I cannot pay. He gives to me something that I cannot in any whit give to myself. Salvation. So... To end it up, to him be the glory. That's the appropriate thing next. To him be the glory. Listen, it's, it's not by the translation of the scripture that I read. Some people glorify that. It is not by the denomination to which I belong. So a lot of people glorify that. It's not to the church which I belong. It's not to the people whose teachings I may, uh, I may listen to or whatever. It is to him be the glory because none of those things would be without him. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Now that day of eternity, that's, that's synonymous with the day of God. Not the day of the Lord, but the day of God. That's the day when we enter into that new heaven and new earth. Some people call it eternity. Well, I'll let God call it what he wants to call it. But I'm going to be there. Not by anything that I've done, but by everything that my Lord and Savior Christ has done graciously to me. And he will get the glory for it. Always. And forever. And I will be mindful of this. So a lot of people say, I wonder if I get to remember things after I'm dead and then another. Will I remember? I don't look. I know this much. You see that last verse, that last phrase? There's one thing you'll remember, grace. And another thing, knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, both now and to the day of eternity. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God.
He came into this world to save sinners. If God today, you'll know it if he is. There's no mistaking the call of God into his salvation. The conviction of sin and the absolute sense of worthlessness and uselessness, knowing that only God can save you. All of us who are in Christ came through that same valley. If God calls you to Christ today as you exit, we have deacons and their wives standing in the doorways just across the hall. You can't miss them. They are there to pray with you about salvation in Christ. Maybe you're here. You're already a Christian. God is bringing you into this membership of Shiloh. They are there prepared to talk to you about that as well. Prayerfully, would you stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed from here in a word of prayer.